0: A Catholic was explaining to a Unitarian Universalist friend how dogma was formulated in the Catholic Church. First it's debated by the Church authorities, then when the debate is ended, whatever was decided upon is declared dogma by the Pope. The friend replied, It's pretty much the same with us, said the Unitarian Universalist. The Catholic said, I thought you didn't have dogma. The Unitarian Universalist responded, "That's because no de- debate among Unitarian Universalists ever ends." <laughs> With the story of the blind men and the elephant, I was trying to remind our young people that no matter how confident we are in our understandings, whether of truth or religious perspectives we do not hold all the answers. And alone, we are only one piece of the puzzle and really have no chance for grasping the whole picture. I've been a member of this congregation for over 30 years, and from the beginning, as I made my way into coming to know the community a little bit better, I found that while there were of course, many varieties of how people describe themselves religiously or or spiritually, there was discernibly a separation among a couple of camps, if you will. Please forgive the drastically oversimplified version of that which I'm about to offer, but one one group was made up of those who uh, most were most inclined towards atheism and agnosticism, whose primary guide for insight into the nature of life was science, and for whom religious language, sacred books, most rituals and the like, had come to have very little meaning or value at all. The other group was made up of those who, while they honored and believed in the lessons of science, were quite caught up with the personal spiritual experiences they were having. A sense of empowerment, excitement, with expanding and ever more inclusive religious and spiritual vocabularies, interest in sacred literature, both ancient and contemporary, and they delighted in rituals of all sorts. Over time, an even broader spectrum of spiritual self-descriptions has come to constitute our membership. And, of course, there were people all along that continuum. It was not just the extremes. And with all this variety and some sharp delineations, we remain one congregation because this church is in large measure about community. What makes us one church is what happens between the component parts, the relationship. So, e pluribus unum, out of the many, one, or from the many, one. Not such a difficult concept until we try to transcend the distinct individual aspects to find that one indivisible. As I've mentioned for the last couple of weeks, my my spiritual journey um, this time around began in the Southern Baptist Church, meandered through multiple philosophies and perspectives, which eventually led me here. But even since becoming a member of All Souls, my perspective and understanding has had seismic shifts on more than one occasion, and as I mentioned last week, Something that I find rather curious now, or is it at this point in my life, there is a Trinitarian view of things that is beginning to hold a good bit of value for me. I'm a Unitarian, talking about Trinitarianism. Um, And an author about whom I speak with some frequency Father Richard Rohr, he's a Franciscan monk, wrote a book called The Divine Dance. The Divine Dance is all about his understanding of Trinity. And as I was trying to prepare for this service, what I found fascinating was the number of detractors, the Christian detractors of his reading. And their primary complaints about his treatment of the Trinity are that he's universalist. Uh, He encourages people to contemplate, meditate, and develop their own views. And then test those against the authority that they encounter. His detractors then go on to say that his explanation of the Trinity has nothing to do with God the Father Almighty, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, and the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking all of those things might be reasons you would be a little curious about the book. Anyway... You know, there's a, there is an old joke in Unitarian circles that you might be Unitarian Universalist if you think the Trinity is reduce, reuse, and recycle. <laughs> 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 Incidentally, we're trying to begin another environmental group here at the church, and so stay tuned for that. Uh, <laughs> For a number of years, you would find things posted around UU churches, and they had banners at the, at the Baton Rouge church that lined their parking lot that said freedom, reason, and tolerance, where they may have some design um, in other churches, placed different places that represented the Trinity, those banners were emblematic of what Unitarian ideals were for a long time, until we discovered that tolerance wasn't big enough. You know, so we we are still a dynamic faith, and if we want to stay that, we can't stay frozen in our ideals and perspective on things. Anyway, For this new relation, um, relationship with the concept of Trinity, the focus is not so much on sharply defining what God is and what Jesus, uh, no, what the Christ is, Jesus Christ, and what the Spirit is, but it's about the relationship, about an emptying out and pouring out of love between these aspects of something so vast and mysterious that it's, it's hard to contain, that can't be contained. As the process happens, while it's not trying to say, these are the aspects that represent God, and these are the aspects that represent the, uh, Jesus or the Christ, and these are the aspects that represent the spirit. It talks about the flow and emptying out between all of these things and how one feeds into the other and the other feeds into the next. And and that in that relationship, in that flow, is the Trinity. That's what they're talking about. Uh, they said old ideas of God as the man upstairs, which just right off the bat, has a whole bunch of problems with it. (laughs) You know, it's always a man, usually a white guy, you you know, and is geographically affixed in a certain direction, um, (laughs) critical, and uh, removed from humankind. And this new concept talks about what if God is life itself? What if that which, from which the Big Bang sprung, is what God is? What if that relationship between all that exists, all of us, everything that has been or will be, the glue that holds it together, the the principle that animates it, the parts that we have nowhere near come to uh, unraveling and demystifying um, are what we use as a concept for God. Last week I was talking about uh, the difference between the person of Jesus and the idea of the Christ. And that if Christ was the, the principle at the core of every human being, the place that always has inherent worth, value, dignity, and cannot be separated from truth. If we take that image with us into this picture, then we've got a way that we are... We are Participatory in this idea. I'm not going to be doing great with all of this. There's too much to cover. But but another idea that they hold that Richard Rohr in his book holds out about God is the idea of um, not almighty but all vulnerable. And perpetual not stepping into metal and and alter things that would interfere with our volition, but perpetually participating. I started a song a few weeks ago um, that, that's about uh, maybe with a lifetime comes a song that sings us from the inside and hums with us along. Um, You know, you can get all kinds of noise and chaos going and never hear your own song. Doesn't mean it isn't there. But, so if, if this idea of the Trinity that the language of Trinity is now being used to discuss a massively inclusive, still loving, but ever flowing relationship with the universe, why couldn't we befriend that idea? I mean, we don't have to use that language for it, but but would we have resistance to those ideas? I mean, you might, and that's fine too, but I'm just saying that the ways that language are being used now, older language, old encrusted ideas from Christianity are being re-employed and opened up, and I think because humankind is slowly but surely at a glacial pace, at an evolutionary pace, waking for really waking up to the capacity to have more compassion as we wake to the capacity to have more compassion and be more inclusive ideas that overarch all of our binary or dualistic thinking are going to be, become more the model than the exception but that may take past our lifetimes you know, uh, Richard Rohr talks about one, being lonely, a lonely principle, and two, always being antagonistic, competitive, and conflictual. I mean, if you give somebody a choice between two things, the mind rather quickly decides which one is better. I mean, our our habits of thought are to pick between what's the preferable of the two. And that kind of thinking sets us in dynamic opposition with everything that makes the other choice. Throughout history, to unite, become a a unification of humankind or spirit or the world, whatever model you want to be working from, as small, microscopic or macroscopic as you want to get, you're not going to unify things with a binary or dualistic system. Maybe that's what's wrong with the internet. <laughs> uh, I, that was just a thought that floated through and I <laughs> let it come Personally, I find value in the language, in, in some of the old-fashioned language of the Trinity because I have experiences of something beyond me that aren't monolithic. I can stand, one of my favorite things is to stand where there's a broad, stretch of openness and watch sunsets (coughs) the sunsets in Shreveport are exceptional I never saw one that could compete with many I've seen here the whole time I lived in California (laughs) the clouds are different the light is different the dispersing of the light is different They're just gorgeous, but I can stand there before that and feel something connected and resonant all the way through me. Now, there are other things that do that for people. Not sunsets and not necessarily even nature, but there's something that sets up a sense of resonance that's that's inexplicable for a lot of people. That's one aspect for me. Another aspect is sometimes, sometimes when I'm writing songs, sometimes when I'm just alone with my thoughts, I feel a presence. I don't want to name it beyond that, but I feel it. Sometimes I think I can discern something it's trying to tell me. Do what you want with that. Barbara's nuts, man. It's time to get her out of here. (laughs) But the other part is just how things show up synchronicities in my life, sometimes uh, far too regularly. If I do my full meditation in the morning, the day will be synchronistic. I will catch green lights everywhere I go. I will find parking places when I get to busy shopping spots. Way more often than not, if I do that uh, part of my discipline. And if it doesn't happen that way, it's way easier to say oh well there's you know i'll be in perfect timing and sync with wherever i get whenever i get there you know it, it. if we think of life and energy as flow if we know that the atomic structure of things shift if we know that magnetics and electricity and and all of these things interplay all the way down to the basic building blocks of life, everything to which we contribute energy is gonna have an effect. Do what you want with that too. You know, there's a song that I'm gonna have for the postlude, and the line in it is, there is none so blind as he who will not see. It's an old Ray Stevens song. Uh, Our willingness to remain capable of entertaining new ideas is one of our biggest assets as a community. Doing what we can to keep that ability to stretch even when it's uncomfortable is really important to the continuation of this tradition. I think because science and religion are running into each other all over the place now, and in many instances, scientific language is doing a better job of explaining things that that religious language has pointed at forever and religious language is being employed to explain some of the things that are being run into scientifically I think though that divorce that happened back um, in, in the was it the renaissance or the enlightenment um, it's going to have have a the breach bridged also, and it's uh, uh, Michael Dow. Once upon a time, put out a, a large series of things talking about thank God for evolution. Now you're talking about the language of dreams and nighttime, and the language of daytime, and and that uh, we're comfortable talking about being able to fly in our dreams, but we're not comfortable being talking about flying. You know, in our waking state, but we decide which one of those is reality um, because we live in both of them. I had a better example of that that I wanted to use, but I can't call it up right now. So I guess you're going to get to your home early. Uh-uh. <laughs> Oh, no, we don't need to go there. I remember (laughs) (laughs) it. It's too deep a rabbit hole. I won't won't go there. So, just trying to introduce the idea in our Jewish and Christian heritage pillar that the language of the Trinity, the language of God, you know, in recovery... uh, Programs, they call it good orderly direction. They call it a group of drunks. They call it (laughs) the gift of desperation, which is actually a very significant tool to new insights. We very seldom learn from our comfort. Anyway, uh, the idea of Trinity, the idea of new language or new ideas of old language. If we can use our Unitarian Universalist, universal translators and become more comfortable with that language, we can again not be in reactive mode when we're talking to people that are employing it a great deal, nor do we have to feel like we have to straighten them out. Um, I think it's worthwhile. I think it's part of a growing faith, and I invite you to consider that possibility also.